Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access podcast. A voice crack to remember on that opening. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, you might be listening to us after the fact anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for tuning in. And Brendan, look, we are known to dilly and dally on the, in the final, first couple minutes of our podcast, last yeah. week we talked about our upcoming softball matchup, which unfortunately got rained out. However, I'm listening to the comments. I'm, I'm, I'm reading the comments, going back through, through our last... I'm watching the film of our last uh, thing, and, and there were some people that were saying, you know, just cut to the good stuff. Just uh, They sent the timestamp so and said, you're telling me actually start talking about the thing that they should be talking about. You're telling me that us talking about our softball game was not the good stuff? Not the good stuff, amazingly. That uh, is shocking. The, the stuff that people come here to see, I would think would be, you know, the, how you're going to perform in a rec league. I assumed that everybody Monday night. who tuned in today was assuming that we would talk about how Monday's softball matchup went because that's what everybody was anticipating. You'd think. But You'd of course, think. those viewers are going to be sorely disappointed to learn that that game was rained out. It was rained out, unfortunately. Uh, rescheduled for a later date. So yes. we'll, we'll, of course, you know, keep you apprised on how that matchup goes. Uh, more importantly, Brendan, let's... let's no cut, dillying, no, no dallying. No dillying or dallying. Let's cut right to the, right to the uh, baseball talk. Let's talk about Chris Davis. Uh, because this is a rare Friday pod. Uh, because we wanted to jump on this, you know, as soon as the news broke. It's something that we've been talking about happening and thinking about happening for quite a while now for several years now and it's one of those things where it happens and it still feels a little surreal even though in your mind you had gone there uh, but Chris Davis announcing his retirement yesterday certainly took us by surprise not utter shock because it, like I said I think this day was coming for a while now but when it happened the circumstances of it happening uh, and the manner in which it happened dominated the headlines and rightfully so yesterday. Yeah, and it's not it's not like it's going to make a difference to the major league team at this point. Chris Davis was not going to play the rest of this year and it really didn't look like next year was all that promising because he goes in for that hip surgery and according to to, you know, articles and sources and things like that, it sounds like the hip issue was more severe than originally thought. Yeah, Rockabaco Massinsports.com saying that it, it was a torn labrum that he had surgery on in that hip, and the reporting is that it the, maybe not a degenerative condition per se, but it the circumstances of it are not good and, and made right. it so that Chris Davis himself did not believe he could be uh, come come back fully healthy in 2022. Yeah, and although it doesn't have an immediate impact on the major league team at this point, it still is significant given Chris Davis's history with the Orioles, and he was really the last holdover from the mid 2010s Orioles teams that were making playoff pushes, that were winning pennants, things like that. So, well, not winning any well, pennants. not winning pennants, <laughs> but you know, division titles, things like that. The team that had the best record in the American League over a five-year span. Yes. Um, yeah, he, he really was the the only member of that team. He was the longest tenured Oriole at this point. He was the only one that was the holdover from that time. And he his departure means a lot for the Orioles, uh, not just financially, but, you know, it's, it's a good time now to reflect on what he meant for the Orioles at his heyday. And then the kind of legacy that he is, as I spill my coffee, the kind of legacy that he is going to leave – um, as a member of the Baltimore Orioles. So let's first talk here and now what this means for the Orioles going forward. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, it doesn't mean too much on in terms of everyday roster machinations. He is on the 60-day IL, so he's not taking up a spot on their 40-man roster, but he probably would have had to have some time off the 60-day the IL, some time where he's not, you know, where he is taking up a spot on the 40-man roster, and that could have, in theory, hurt the Orioles' ability to add guys and protect them from the Rule 5 draft and even sign free agents 
uh, this coming winter because if he's taking up a, a roster spot, that's one spot that you can't use on a minor league guy that you might want to keep away from the World 5 draft. Yeah, it does help the Orioles in terms of opening up their 40-man roster a bit. I think the big question that most people are probably wondering with this Chris Davis retirement is with his contract, yeah. it, would, would that change? Would that open up the Orioles to be able to spend more money on free agents in the upcoming off-seasons? And the answer to that is that we're not completely sure all of the details of the restructuring of that contract. All we know for sure is that he's not going to get the same lump sum next year, but he's still going to get the same amount of money in his contract going forward with some different details mixed in. Yeah, so the original terms of the agreement, of course, uh, it was $17 million per season. This is a seven-year, $161 million contract that he signed after the 2015 se- uh, uh, during the 2015-16 offseason. So after the 2015 season. $17 million per season with $42 million of the 161 deferred. Now, 10 installments of $3.5 million were going to be made annually from in July, July 1st is the date that he officially gets the check. July 2023 to July 2032, and then five installments of $1.4 million from July 2033 until July 2037. From what we have heard, that's not going to change. The thing that changes is next year's money because he was on the books for another season. He was under contract for another season after you know after the 2022 season he was still going to be paid the deferred money but he wasn't going to be on the roster so the money next year there's 17 million dollars in annual salary and then on top of that there's five million uh, deferred from that that amount of money that is going to be spread over the next three seasons so from what i understand and this is the reporting of dan Connolly and rock Cabaco and and john Heyman and others it's going to be spread out so that 17 million dollars i don't think the deferred part of that that money but just the 17 million dollars is going to be spread out on uh through the 2022 season 2023 and 2024 so that the orioles don't have to pay 17 million dollars lump sum in 2022 yeah so it does theoretically help the Orioles a bit heading into the offseason because they won't have the lump sum salary for Chris Davis on the books for next season. Whether that really changes their approach in free agency remains to be seen, but at least they won't have the huge one season number for Chris Davis. They're just going to have a bunch of smaller numbers for the next, I don't know how many years that is, math, 10 years? Whatever until 2037 and it's yeah. 2021 so that's not even years close to there, right? <laughs> yeah yeah uh it's a long time however you do you know the reason that you do sign a deal like this is because that 161 that they signed him to when you defer that money the the value of the contract as years go on because of inflation and everything goes down every year so you know they're 1.4 million dollars in 2037 doesn't mean the same as 1.4 million dollars in 2016 when they signed that deal. So, right. the, you know, I, ideally, however, you, you are still spending money on a guy who is no longer rostered for years after the time in which he played for your team. And and that is, you know, a criticism that I think you could make fairly of the, the contract that he signed. Uh, but in terms of timing of this deal, of this, you know, obviously these are details that they have had to be working out for at least a couple weeks now. Right. Talking about, uh, you mentioned the injury status, the fact that, he gets undergoes that hip surgery back in May 19th, I think it was, and it seems like the effects of that hip injury are a little bit more severe than he originally anticipated, so it didn't seem like he was going to play for next year. Uh, the fact that it, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, why wouldn't he do it in the middle of the offseason? But I do think it makes sense because we've seen Chris Davis so many years go into his spring training in a regular season with certain adjustments that he wants to make, and he obviously has the confidence he's still under contract he feels like he can contribute at the start of a season so for the retirement to happen in the middle of the season I think makes a little bit more sense because at this point reality has set in that he's not playing in 2021 and maybe not in 2022 he won't have the offseason to build up his strength and you know build back up his confidence he's right in the middle of the season and he understands that this is just not going to work yeah the midseason retirement I think like you said, is is more of a reflection of 
how severe that injury was because if he doesn't have that spring training going into next year, I mean, it felt like for the last few years, whenever Chris Davis was heading into a season, we always heard a lot in spring training about what he was doing differently with his swing, how his mechanics were changing. He was, you know, getting surgery on this and that to try to contribute at the major league level. And he was obviously not hitting in the way that he would have liked to. He was still playing a solid defensive first base but if Chris Davis thinks that he is not going to have that offseason to go into 2022, he's not going to be available for spring training. I think this mid-year retirement is just a reflection of of how severe that injury is. Yeah, and it's it was obviously has been made clear for a while now that he, considering he's 35 years old, not going to be a part of this rebuild and did not have any remaining trade value considering the amount of money that he's owed uh, over the final you know, the year of his deal and then the deferred money. So uh, it it was pretty clear from both an organizational standpoint and a personal standpoint that this was not a marriage that was suited to last. Right. Um, but let's talk about Chris Davis as a whole and try to take his career in an Orioles uniform uh, from a, a bird's eye view and try to understand because he was a great player during his height and obviously the fall was precipitous. So let's start with what got him there. Let's start with the rise of Chris Davis, how he came to the Orioles, uh, and you know, kind of pay tribute to his Orioles career at this point. So he comes over in the trade with Texas, uh, and he was really a converted third baseman at that point, had experience playing in the outfield, um, but really did not have much of an opportunity uh, with the Rangers. Didn't play over 100 games in a season with them. Uh, played for parts of four seasons uh, with the Texas Rangers. And he comes over with Tommy Hunter uh, in the deal that sends sends, uh, Koji Uehara to the Texas Rangers. Now, that deal back in 2011 is one of the more lopsided deals, at least in recent memory, of the Orioles' history. Tommy Hunter, of course, turns into a serviceable reliever for the Orioles six seasons, had an ERA, a tick over four. Then you get a a player in Chris Davis, who at that point was 24, 25 years old, who would blossom into a, a future MVP candidate in just a few years. Yeah, one of the better trades in recent memory Yeah, for the Baltimore Orioles, getting Chris Davis, and that was a steal at that point, considering what Chris Davis gave you, what Tommy Hunter gave you, and then obviously in Baltimore, Chris Davis has the opportunity to be an everyday first baseman and really flourishes into the power-hitting power heading lefty that had a really, really solid career for the first five years that he was in Baltimore. Yeah, and and he fit perfectly into that lineup considering that was a lineup that um, had some pop in Adam Jones. You know, he was a a 25-homer-a-year guy, and he had uh, Manny Machado had not yet made his debut, but he was about to. You had J.J. Hardy, who was providing good defense uh, at at shortstop, rather, and you had a blossoming young team, and he fit perfectly age-wise, and also his bat fit perfectly into there as a true power threat right in the middle of that lineup and by the way Koji Uehara on the other side of that deal with the Texas Rangers 59 appearances with them 250 ERA so uh, he was serviceable as a reliever uh, for the Texas Rangers but he made just two appearances in the postseason for them and they really on a team that was very good and was making World Series runs at that point and he really didn't make a difference meanwhile the Orioles got two guys that won in the bullpen and won in their lineup that were stalwarts for several years. Yeah, and if you talk about those mid-2010s Orioles that were winning a lot of games, you can talk about Manny Machado, J.J. Hardy, Zach Britton, guys like that, but Chris Davis should be and needs to be right in the middle of that conversation in terms of the power players for the Orioles that were making that push and winning a lot of games. Yeah, so he becomes a regular starter in 2012, he hits 33 home runs in his first year as a as a everyday starter uh, because he obviously didn't have that opportunity with the Rangers. And you think, all right, O's have something here. Uh, they have a 26-year-old power bat, plays first, hits 33 home runs, and, of course, the Orioles uh, break their postseason drought that year in 2012. So they're headed to the postseason. He looks like he's going to be a piece of this team for years to come. 2013, his lone all-star season was his best season in an Orioles uniform. 53 homers, a 286 average, OPS over one, third in AL MVP voting. That 2013 season, he sets the franchise record for home runs in a season. 
uh, is absolutely dominant. And now you're starting to get the, the sense that this, even though the Orioles didn't make the playoffs, obviously, in 2013, he's looking like somebody who could be a a perpetual MVP candidate. Yeah, and let's not forget that 2013 season where he comes in third in MVP. That's the year where Miguel Cabrera wins the Triple Crown and Mike Trout has one of the better seasons ever. Yeah. So Chris Davis comes in third in AL MVP voting behind two guys that just put up one of the best seasons that the American League has ever seen. So that was the 2013 year for Chris Davis. I mean, he hits... 53 home runs, yeah. has an OPS over one, Yeah, starts the All-Star game that year. It was one of the better seasons that an Oriole has had, period. Yeah, and then 2014 is when he hits a down year. So it goes, you're starting already to see the highs and the lows of the Chris Davis career. It wasn't horrible by any stretch, but he only hit 196 with 26 homers. And, of course, he's suspended 25 games uh, for amphetamines for, for uh, a drug for, to relate to ADHD. So uh, when he did not have an allowance for that, and most importantly, that suspension comes in September. He misses the final couple weeks of the season. More importantly, he misses the playoffs in 2014. And that's, that is the first kind of, a- after it has been nothing but highs for Chris Davis in his Orioles career so far, that is the first major low because... Uh, that was a big blow, obviously hitting under 200 that season, but he was still a presence in that lineup. And on a team that obviously has been the most successful Orioles team that we've seen in the, this century, he could have maybe made a difference, you'd, you'd think ideally, in that series against the Royals. And maybe, obviously they got swept, but maybe he makes a difference and, and things turn out a little bit differently if he were there. Yeah, and regardless of the batting average, throughout the 2014 season, you're still coming off a year where Chris Davis hit 53 home runs and had no PS over one. So he was still one of the most feared hitters in all of Major League yes. Baseball. And regardless of whether or not he was slumping that year, your game plan changes when Chris Davis is in the lineup. But you're right, Paul, that 2014 playoff missed time it, before the contract is really the one bad taste that he left in yes. Orioles fans' mouths. Yeah, because immediately after that 2014 season, totally redeems himself in yes. 2015. Uh, hits 47 home runs. They don't make the the uh, postseason that year, obviously. And this is coming after, immediately after the offseason in which the Orioles, and we'll get into, you know, the contract and, and the circumstances around that, but the Orioles did not re-sign Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis, two major pieces of their 2014 team. And Chris Davis shoulders a lot of the burden of, uh, the offensive production in the middle of that lineup. And he looks in just like his 2013 self, obviously hits five fewer homers, but is doing just as much damage. And there is a groundswell among Orioles fans because he's entering a walk, that is his walk year, to re-sign him. Uh, he obviously gets huge rounds of applause in his final couple games in Baltimore. Fans think that he may be there for the last time. Uh, he, they think that, he, you know, this is the one guy that you can't let go after you have let some of your your better offensive players go. Uh, and they give him huge ovations, well-deserved that season. And that is the utter peak. Uh, offensively, the 2013 season was better. But if you talk about, you know, the, the peak of uh, Chris Davis's fame in Baltimore, I think you could talk about that 2015 season. Because after 2015, going into that 2016, 2015-2016 offseason where you had to re-sign Chris Davis, like you mentioned, the Orioles had just not re-signed Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis, and the fan perception at that point was you can't make the same mistake again. Right. You can't let a core piece of this team go. And while we're on the topic of Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis, I do want to say that a lot of people seem to have the idea that the Orioles chose to re-sign Chris Davis instead of Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis. Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis were up for contracts in the 2014 offseason. That was a decision that the Orioles made entirely independently of the Chris Davis contract situation going into the 2016 season. Yeah. Chris Davis's contract in no way inhibited the Orioles from signing Nelson Cruz or signing Nick Marcakis. Yeah. Maybe there was a little bit of forward thinking where if you signed Cruz or Marcakis to bigger deals, maybe you wouldn't have the money left over for Chris Davis. 
but it really didn't inhibit the Orioles from signing those guys. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a decision where they were deciding exactly who to sign and to what dollar amount. Right. When Cruz and Marquez hit free agency, it and it, it obvious. I, I know in in time things get lost in details and you know dates are jumbled. So it, I understand the thinking of the Orioles chose one guy over the other or chose one guy over those two guys, but that's not. That's not how it come, you know. When when we look back at the contract that he signed, that's not something that we should consider here. Right, exactly. And in fact, if anything, the fact that the Orioles didn't sign Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis was probably one of the contributing factors to signing oh, Chris huge, Davis in 2015. Huge contributing factor. Because you didn't want to make the same mistake again. Yeah. You well, couldn't let go of those core pieces. You couldn't let another guy who was very successful in Baltimore walk. Yeah. And the funny thing about Chris Davis is that if he doesn't re-sign in the 2015-2016 offseason, he is probably looked at very fondly by Orioles fans as somebody who gave you five years of really solid production, helped push those Orioles teams towards the playoffs, and deserved to get a contract but did not get one. Right. And... When you talk about those five seasons, they were elite seasons. Yes. He averaged about 40 home runs in those seasons, and there were some highs and lows, but it it came to the point where the Orioles had let those two guys go, and they saw the kind of impact that it had uh, on their winning and losing and also on the fan base. The, the fans were clamoring. A lot of the same people that criticized the contract are also a lot of the ones that you know clamored to have Chris Davis resigned. Now... That's not to say that the fans wanted him at that dollar amount with that amount of deferred money right. for that many years. Obviously, the fans are not in on any of these negotiations. They just see the player that they love and they want to keep him in Baltimore. But you do have to consider other factors that were, were going on there. And the fact that the Orioles had let those guys walk, they had seen the fact that they were not a playoff team, they were desperate to get back to their 2014 success, and they saw the kind of year that he had in 2015. They thought, this is something that can continue. Uh, so they signed him to that seven-year, $161 million deal in, a, in an offseason where, at one point, Dan Duquette said negotiations with Chris Davis's camp were dead. Uh, but essentially, Scott Boris works uh, directly with uh, the Angeloses and is able to hammer out a deal that keeps Chris Davis in Baltimore uh, for years to come. And I think the point we're trying to make leading up to this contract that obviously did not work out the way that the Orioles hoped, Chris Davis deserved a contract with the Orioles. Yeah. Whether or not Chris Davis deserved a $161 million contract after the five seasons of production that he gave the Orioles is certainly up for debate. However, Chris Davis played well enough to warrant a contract negotiation heading into the 2016 season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they signed him to this deal, and the following season in 2016, he hits 38 homers. So the power is still there for Chris Davis, but you start to see um, a few of the things that are going to contribute to uh, the downfall of his production. Uh, you start to see him strike out more than he ever has, 219 strikeouts, and the batting average is really starting to dip. So he was obviously never going to be a high batting average guy. That 2013 season was the high watermark when he hit 28, uh, 286, excuse me. But he hits 221. He's not walking as much as he used to be, and he's striking out at a very high rate. And you're just hoping, all right, 2016 is, is just like the 2014 year. He's going to get this things back up. The Orioles were still winning. They made a wild card appearance that season and unfortunately lost in Toronto. But there's much there. There's still reason to believe that Chris Davis, in his age 31 season, is going to come back in 2017 and look somewhat like the Chris Davis that was third in MVP voting. Yeah, the 2015 to 2016 Chris Davis seasons are really interesting because in 2015. He also led all of Major League Baseball in strikeouts. The difference is he had an OPS of 923, and he had a good enough season to finish 14th in the American League in MVP voting. In 2016, he still leads all of the Major Leagues in strikeouts, yeah. except 
the batting average drops 40 points. Yeah. The OPS drops by over 100 points. And, and that st- the strikeouts become more of a storyline when the other factors aren't there. Right. You, yeah. can, you can strike out a lot, and I know that's the thing around Chris Davis, especially after he signed that contract, was the strikeout numbers. But if you're somebody like Joey Gallo, who also walks a lot, along with the strikeouts, who also is still hitting a lot of home runs along with the strikeouts. The strikeouts don't make all that much of a difference. It's okay to lead the major leagues in strikeouts, just like he did in 2015, but he still had an OPS over 900. Yeah, and at this point, the Orioles are now shifting almost entirely into a kind of power-based team that doesn't really have as much use for a high strikeout high power number hitter like Chris Davis. They acquired Mark Trumbo, who's in the same vein. Adam Jones is getting a little bit older, so he's not stealing as many bags. Uh, Manny Machado is not stealing as many bags as he used to. They be- abandon all pretense of being a speed, having that threat of speed. Yeah, and it's they're not turning- a speed fielding and defense team anymore. No, they it were- is a hit home runs and strikeout. And team. they're leading the league in, in home runs, so it's still working for the most part. They made the wild card uh, game that season, but... He's not. He he's a little bit. His skills are redundant a little bit in that lineup, considering the other guys that you have in that lineup surrounding him now. It's not. It's not the same youthful, uh, you know, defense first team. It's it's getting a little bit older, and it's getting a little bit less contact uh, uh, heavy. Yes. I guess you could say. And the decline of Chris Davis coincides with the decline in the loss column for the Orioles. In, yeah, in, the next season. Right. Yeah. And he's just kind of the guy on the books for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 2017 is when things really start to go downhill. Uh, 2017 is, uh, he hits 215 with 26 homers. The 26 homers is, I think, the lowest mark that he had had since the 2014 season where he didn't play as many games. Right. Um, And then 2018 is a new low. He's hitting a new low every season, unfortunately, at this point. Uh, And 2018 is when the Orioles go into the collapse that we saw and and the breakup of the team that had had the best record in the American League for a five-year stretch, and everybody's performing poorly at that point. I mean, Manny Machado was still hitting home runs, but everybody on that team was having a down season. Chris Davis was just another guy in that spot that was having a down season, and he was not tradable at that point because of the amount of money that he was owed. So while he saw other guys shipped out of town, Uh, You know, he saw Manny Machado go. He saw Jonathan Scope go. uh, He sees J.J. Hardy retire at the end of that season. He's still stuck around because of that deal that is sitting on the books. And it's the context of that contract that makes it a harder pill to swallow when you look at it. Because if Chris Davis isn't on the books, maybe the Orioles are able to make a more competitive offer to somebody like Manny Machado or to Jonathan Scope to keep him in Baltimore but obviously with Chris Davis's contract they're not able to do that and he we it's really unprecedented to see the kind of fall that Chris Davis had truly obviously you can look at somebody like Miguel Cabrera in Detroit he gets a huge contract with the Tigers and at this point he is not worth the amount of money that he is getting paid but we've seen a pretty natural regression from Miguel Cabrera to be expected as you approach your age 40 season He's just not playing as well as he used to, but that's expected. That contract yeah. was a really good deal for the first few years that he was still performing at a really high level. And as Miguel Cabrera has gotten older, you're kind of paying for the fact that you got those great years of production at the beginning of the contract. The Orioles were probably assuming that giving Chris Davis a six-year deal, sure, he's he might fall off towards seven the year. end. Seven-year deal. He might fall off towards the end, but in the first three or four years of that deal, you're still expecting Chris Davis to hit 35 home runs. Yes. Even if he's only hitting 220, you're still expecting him to be a consistent power bat for at least the few, first few years of that deal. And obviously, you take the bad years of the contract, which you because you somewhat expect them, if you win in the short term. Right. You, you're, you're much more willing to swallow the struggles at the end of a deal if you win a World Series in the meantime. I mean, you, you look at... Uh, other deals around baseball, recent deals, just you know, to name a few, like the Miguel Cabrera deal, they resign, they sign him to that deal because they expect to win in the short term, and they're okay with taking that. The Bryce Harper deal, they know that in the final few years of that deal, 
that's not going to look too good on their books. And, you know, that he, he may be an albatross sitting there on their roster, but if they win a World Series, it's all worth it. Right. Patrick Corbin in, in Washington signed to do a six-year deal. He's going to be 36, but you win a World Series in the short term. All these kind of deals, and, and teams make these deals all the time. It's just that, it, not just that, the two things hurt him here. One, the precipitous drop-off that you talk about because he did not perform. He had one season with 38 homers, and that's it under that contract. So he didn't have production under the new deal. It's not like he was great for the first three years and you took the last ones, like you said. And two, the Orioles didn't win. Yeah. Th- that's the, the, he's a symptom of a bigger problem, which is that the, uh, the Orioles did not capitalize, unfortunately, on the time at which they had several great players and, and a great nucleus and core of guys in Baltimore. They did not get over the hump and get past the ALCS. And, because of that, it's much easier to look back at Chris Davis's struggles and say that he was at fault for that. When in fact, there were so many factors that led to the Orioles needing to break up that team in 2018. And obviously, first and foremost, I think comes down to a lack of starting pitching. Right. But there were other underlying factors that I think are now being addressed better by this current front office. You talk about the fact that they had no international presence. They for several years were making deadline deals like a winning team does selling off their top prospects in order to get back guys that were going to contribute for an Andrew Miller type, a Jim Tomey that were going to contribute for a short amount of time because you wanted to make the playoffs. And at a, at a certain point that builds up on itself and it becomes unsustainable. And then it, it, the team becomes so top heavy. And when the top falls down, the whole thing collapses. That's what happened here. Right. And Chris Davis, yes, he struggled during that time. And yes, his struggles contributed to the Orioles not winning and not getting over the hump and winning as many games as they should have. However, he was just a small piece in what was overall uh, a, a, a downfall uh, of those twenty, those mid-2010s Orioles teams. Yeah, he became the poster for a bad Orioles team yes. that was not winning a lot of games. And we're not trying to sugarcoat the fact that he was not good under this Orioles contract. He hit 196 in 534 games. He only hit 92 home runs and struck out over 750 times. That's not good. However, to the second point that you made in terms of Chris Davis kind of... The the notion of Chris Davis being as bad as he was was exacerbated by just how bad the Orioles were during that time. And if you want an example, look at the 2014 season that we talked about where Chris Davis did not play an entire season. He only played 127 games. Guess what? He hit 196 during that year, which is the same batting average he's had under this contract. He had 173 strikeouts in 127 games, where if he plays a full season, he probably leads the major leagues in strikeouts once again. And yes, he still does hit 26 home runs. However, that 2014 season, you're not really looking at Chris Davis and saying, wow, this guy is one of the worst players in baseball because the Orioles are still winning games. Yeah. If Chris Davis played that poorly in a season where the Orioles were winning games... He was not looked at that way. No. But because the Orioles were not good for the stretch where Chris Davis was still under contract and not producing, he becomes the poster. He's, he's under a microscope, especially. However, like you said, don't want to sugarcoat the fall of Chris Davis because right. the last few years have been an incredible struggle for Chris Davis. He had that uh, hitless streak, 54 at-bats, 62 consecutive plate appearances that goes from the t- late 2018 season into the 2019 season. Uh, appeared in just 16 games in 2020, has more health issues. Uh, he And then at the beginning of this spring training, he says there are going to be visible changes to uh, his swing and uh, appears in one spring training game and has the hip issues, and, and that leads us to where we are today. So, the the and of course, the 168 batting average in the 2019 season was the lowest that any player has ever had who's qualified for a batting title. And... Again, it's it's partly because of things that are out of his control and the deal that Scott Boris negotiated because if he were struggling this bad and didn't have the contract, he would not be a talking point. He would not be getting regular at-bats. He would not be taking up a roster spot, but he's guaranteed the money. So he has to be on the team, and he was healthy enough to, to be on the team, be playing every day. You have to play him. Right. So 
it, it were it was a perfect storm of uh, of uh, factors that led to Chris Davis becoming uh, you know known for this kind of futility. And it's really easy to go back with revisionist history and say there's no way the Orioles should have signed Chris Davis to this contract. But again, leading up to that 2015 offseason with the Orioles. Chris Davis hit 256 with 159 home runs, an OPS over 875, which included a third-place MVP finish and an all-star start. Yeah. You needed to sign Chris Davis leading up to that 2016 season, and if he walks and plays well for another team, maybe he walks and we see the same Chris Davis fall off that we've seen here in Baltimore. Yeah. But if, theoretically, Chris Davis walked and played really well somewhere else and had a good rest of his career, Orioles fans would be talking about Chris Davis as the guy that Baltimore completely missed on. He would be in the same conversation as Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis as somebody that the Orioles should have re-signed long-term. But they didn't. He didn't. But he didn't. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's that's the tough part about making these big decisions for big-time right. money. And I agree with you. It's not that they re-signed him. It's, it's the dollar amount and the years. You know, if, if they had re-signed him to a two- or three-year deal that was front-loaded, that's perfectly fine. But the contract deserves the criticism because from what we have gathered, we're not in the meetings of these rooms, the Orioles were mostly bidding against themselves when it came to this deal. And that's why they gave him uh, too many years and too much money. Right. Some some other team also could have made a similar mistake. In theory. Yeah. In theory. Well, teams make these mistakes. The problem is it, this one blew up in dramatic fashion. Right. Um, but there are, you know, bad contracts are handed around, Absolutely. handed out everywhere. But let's talk also about his off-the-field impact as well. Because you can't talk about Chris Davis without talking about the things that he did for the franchise and for the city of Baltimore that are unprecedented in many ways. Uh, $3 million donated to the University of Maryland Children's Hospital. That is the largest amount ever by any Baltimore sports figure donated. And I don't care how much money you're making, $3 million is $3 million. Yeah. And it's not spent on bricks and mortar either. And I think a lot of, you know, different donations get viewed in different light. This was $3 million that was earmarked for state-of-the-art hybrid catheterization and operating room set up to treat children with congenital heart defects. That money is going directly towards kids who actually need this and yeah. not just being, it's not, this. and that that is who Chris Davis is. He didn't do anything just to do it and just to say that he was doing this right. when, it was, when it comes to charity. He did this with an express purpose and he and his wife, Jill, were figures in the Baltimore community where they were massive, massive charitable contributors every year. And that $3 million going directly towards children uh, because of the own experience that they had in their personal life is <laughs> you, that man has made a contribution, a positive contribution to lives that uh, of people that he has not even met and will probably contrib continue to contribute for years to come. There are yeah. families that are positively affected by the money that he donated for years to come that he has not even met and that may not ever get to meet Chris Davis, that may not ever get to know that he's part of the reason that they experienced, uh, you know, that they were able to get great health care. So I think that, that that just needs to be said first and yeah. foremost. Yeah, I mean, he won the Orioles Roberto Clemente Award three times, yeah. which is unbelievable and Obviously, you can say whatever you want about Chris Davis's production on the field. His value off of it cannot be overemphasized. No, no. And he had the crushes homers for hearts thing, which was the charity home run derby that he had every year at Camden Yards, which was awesome. He had yeah. kids on the field. He's putting the ball on a tee with his wife, Jill, and having just these kids are having the time of their lives. Um and that raised money as well for the University of Maryland's Children's Hospital. He talked to the doctors uh, who also came for the Home Run Derby. They had the kids' Home Run Derby, and then they had the doctors' Home Run Derby, and they made the doctors feel like they were superstars. It was, it was awesome. Um, and truly, he, he always made time for anybody that was looking for it in Baltimore right. as well. He was always giving with his time on the field, before games, after games, so... Yeah, uh, he was, and that's part of the reason 
that they re-signed him to that deal is is because they knew, all right, you know, they they expected him to produce more than he did, but they also knew this guy is going to be great in the community. He loves the city. He's going to be very impactful and give a lot of this money back to the people who really need it. So they were confident that he was going to be that person, and he absolutely was through the entirety of his contract. Yeah, $161 million is face of the franchise kind of money. And if you are the face of the franchise, he went above and beyond what is expected of a face of the franchise type of player. Yeah. And you, again, you can't overemphasize just how important he was in the Baltimore community. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about his legacy in Baltimore. Um, We talked about the highs. We talked about the lows. How do you think fans... Well, first off, what was your your reaction to how fans took the news yesterday? We were on social media a lot. Yeah. Was at the ballpark. Uh, they played a, a video for Chris Davis during the game itself. Uh, got some positive response from the fans, and then we saw a lot of sentiment on social media. Personally, I was I was um, not surprised, but I it was nice to see. It's kind of what I expected. Nice to see the way that fans. Uh, were able to take a step back and appreciate the career of Chris Davis. Yeah, it honestly, I was a little bit ple- pleasantly surprised. I think that's a good way of putting it because the last few years, you know, whenever we've done these podcasts and things like that, and we're looking at contracts for different guys, we're looking at the offseason, Chris Davis over the last few years is always brought up as a hindrance to signing guys in the offseason or making trades or anything like that. And it just kind of seemed like the fan perception of Chris Davis was pretty much 2016 on. You looked at the contract he signed, the production that really fell off, and there wasn't a lot of retroactive thinking to what he did for the previous five years leading up to that contract. And it was really nice to see Baltimore fans take a step back and look at what he did as a whole. Yes, there's the contract where the production really fell off, But there's also before the contract where the Orioles were winning a lot of games and he was a key, key piece to those Orioles teams in kind of a similar way that the Orioles view recent Hall of Fame inductee J.J. Hardy. A key piece of those teams that might not have been the Adam Jones or the Manny Machado, but was still really important to that team's success. And it was really nice to see some fans be able to take a step back and acknowledge how important he was for that five-year stretch. And honestly, I think it it helps that he himself had taken a step back because he had to because of the injury status, but it's not like he was in the middle of this season and was struggling at the plate and the Orioles fans are seeing this every day at the ballpark and then he retires because then this, the thought of the struggles on the field are fresh in your mind. We, right. Orioles fans saw him in one spring training game and that's it. This year, the last time they saw him was twenty six. Sorry, sixteen games in twenty twenty. So they got a very small sample size of him last year. It kind of helps, recency wise, because you know we're we're all guilty of recency bias and, right. and not seeing him struggle on the field. But I, w- I I wouldn't say surprised because I've seen the the Orioles fans embrace Chris Davis during his struggles, and uh, this is not meant. I'm not trying to you know just say something just to get fans to like me here, but. Uh, the the fans were incredibly patient with Chris Davis. They were about as patient as you can possibly be uh, when he was going through his struggles. They were still cheering him during that hitless streak in 2018 and 19. Yes, you would hear some boos. Those were the minority. And honestly, I think we're sometimes a victim of reading too much into social media, and unfortunately, right. it's part of our job, so we have to. But the people that talk on social media, first off, the the angriest ones are the loudest ones. I'll right. say that's one thing I've learned about social media. So it, they're not the major, they're not the majority. They're just the loudest ones because they're angry. And I'll, there are so many people that don't say anything or say very little that are much more level headed about this and understand that. First off, you know the the kind of stuff that we see about anybody who's struggling. Fans would not say this to the person's face. <laughs> right. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, but two. They, there, were, there was a large portion of Orioles fan base that treated him well, even during his struggles. And this is a Northeast city. Philly, New York, Boston, probably 
definitely would not have been nearly as kind to Chris Davis. Yeah, and, New York fans boo John Carlos Stanton on a regular basis. Right. Like, yeah, F- Philly fans boo their own guys. Yeah. Boston fans boo their own guys. Uh, you know, obviously Baltimore is not the same size as those cities, but also, and I, I'm 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 speaking honestly. I'm again, I'm not trying to flatter anybody here. It is it is a testament to Orioles fans that they stuck with him during this time and that they were understanding and that the sentiment that I saw from fans uh, yesterday, where people were able to step back and appreciate the career of Chris Davis despite what he has done the past six, five or six years, is gives me a little bit of hope for sports fandom period because we've seen so much ugliness and so much vitriol especially over the past couple years so to see that i think was heartening and also it's deserved for chris davis yes it is totally deserved that is what the reaction should be for chris davis i think it's only going to get better as the years go on i agree yes he that contract will be brought up and dragged up every july when he has paid the certain amount in deferred money however the fans in baltimore will remember the good times and just as much, if not more so, than the bad times. And right. they have that at the forefront of their memory when they think about Chris Davis. And as it should be. Yes. Because Chris Davis's five-year peak, regardless of how steep that drop-off was once the contract was signed, for that five-year period, Chris Davis was one of the most feared hitters in Major League Baseball. In the middle of that lineup, He was able to protect guys like Adam Jones and Manny Machado. He was a centerpiece of those Orioles teams that were winning baseball games. And I'll say this right now, Paul, he's an Orioles Hall of Famer. He absolutely deserves it. Over his 10-year career, it's kind of a case of the first half of his career was really good. The second half of his career, nah. But if you want to look at the two most recent... Well, bad. Yes. Yes. But if you want to look at the two most recent Orioles Hall of Fame inductees, he had a better career with the Orioles than Mike Devereaux did, and he put up better, at least hitting numbers, than J.J. Hardy did. did. I know J.J. Hardy had the gold gloves, but J.J. Hardy is beloved by fans, deservedly so, but Chris Davis, at his peak, gave you more production than J.J. Hardy did. Yeah, Chris Davis is just a much of, just as a big a part of those teams as J.J. Hardy was, if not more so. Chris Davis has the second most home runs in the history of Camden Yards. And if you walk along Utah Street, the one name that you will see on those plaques... The most. The most is Chris Davis. Yeah. Yeah, sixth sixth in Orioles history in home runs. Of course, this is, you know, the 1954 and onwards Orioles history. With 253 home runs as a Baltimore Oriole. Uh, 10th in walks with 491. 11th in RBIs. 12 in extra base hits. 14th in runs scored. And 15th all-time in games played in an Orioles uniform, 142 home runs that you said at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and 11 of them have placards on Utah Street. Um, Mentioned earlier the 53 home runs being the most hit by an Oriole in a single season. 370 total bases that season were also an Orioles record. Now he has some dubious records. He's got some bad records. Five of the top 10 highest strikeout seasons, totals in a season rather, belong to Chris Davis. Um, but to me, when you look back at the, that team that made the, had the best record in that five-year stretch, Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Zach Britton, J.J. Hardy, Chris Davis. Yep. Nick Markakis. Yeah. That's the top tier. And then you had, you had other contributing guys who came in and out. You know, you had Brad Brock. You had Darren O'Day. Um, yeah, you had Nelson Cruz for a year. Nelson Cruz. Yeah, Jonathan Scope, who you know was a little bit on the younger side, so he didn't debut until a little bit later. Chris Tillman was on all those teams, but it was good, not great. You had Matt Weeders on those teams, but to me, Chris Davis was a centerpiece of those great teams. Yeah, and if you're going to celebrate a guy like J.J. Hardy for the seven years that he was in Baltimore and helped in a big way to bring winning baseball to the Orioles you've got to look at Chris Davis in the same way. And yes, we're not overlooking how bad he was under the contract that he signed in 2016, but the bad contract is not the entire story. And the five years of production where he was one of the best power hitters in all of Major League Baseball is equally as important to the fall off that he had in 2016, if not more important. Yeah. Because he was contributing to a lot of wins. And again, if he doesn't sign that contract, and that's a decision that is not just him, you know, 
The team has to make the decision to sign the contract. Scott Boris has to negotiate that contract. And obviously, he's not going to turn down money and years. Right. He's going to take the the opportunity that is given to him like literally any other player would. It's not Chris Davis's fault yeah. that they said, here's $161 million. Right. Exactly. It, that's it's not his Chris- agents to negotiate. Chris Davis is just the one getting the contract. It's not yes. like he's negotiating it. Exactly. Like... It, you can't blame Chris Davis for taking no. a big contract. And, and That's what was offered and, to him. And now he has a year and a couple months left on his contract, and he's deciding to step away because he knows he can't contribute. And right. that is, that's what, honestly, look, whether they were right or wrong, fans have been asking him to do for a while. And he is being selfless in this moment and, and deciding to do that. Uh, obviously, he's still taking the money. Right, selfless. Yeah. Yes, he's still getting a lot of money, but it does open up an important 40-man roster spot. We'll talk about it in the well, offseason, yeah. guys, that the Orioles are going to have to protect, things like that. It is not insignificant to have an extra spot on the 40-man roster at this point. Selfless is probably too strong a word. Uh, but, yes, he is He is making a, a decision that benefits it's the It's helpful. Yes. Um, some comments from both YouTube and Facebook. Yeah. Is he an Orioles Hall of Famer? I'd say without a doubt. Unequivocally, yes. Unequivocally. If he does not re-sign with the Orioles leading into the 2016 season and the five years of production is all he has, he is a slam dunk Orioles Hall of Famer. He's still a Hall of Famer. Not even close. Yes. There's not even a conversation. No. Because he had one of the best seasons of an Oriole period yeah in 2013 where he came in third behind a guy who won a triple crown and Mike Trout who had one of the best seasons ever yes those five seasons alone get him into the Orioles Hall of Fame let alone all the stuff that he did for the community yes that I mean that is also keep in mind a huge part of that let alone the kind of the uh person that he was for the the city of Baltimore not a doubt in my mind he's an Orioles Hall of Fame I don't know how long it'll take I don't know what exactly what the process is like but he will be in the Orioles Hall of Fame um and honestly when he comes back to Camden Yards I have little doubt I don't know when it's going to be but I have little doubt he's going to get a standing ovation from Orioles fans when he is inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame and hopefully we see him around the ballpark at some point soon I know he's retiring in Texas with his family but it would be nice to see him show up at the ballpark you know, get a wave on camera. He's up in a suite or he's chatting with Cal or something like that because uh, I know that Orioles fans will give him um, the applause that he deserves. Yeah, Chris on Facebook saying one great season does not make the Orioles Hall of Fame. Uh, how about, We don't need to read. <laughs> again, 159 home runs, 876 OPS, an all-star start, third place MVP. That's yeah, It's a five-year stretch where he averaged about 40 home runs a season. It's not one great season. Right. Uh, all right. Whew. We talked about a lot. Yeah, um, a lot of Chris Davis. A lot of Chris Davis, but I think that uh, you know it was necessary for the moment. Yes. All right. Well, we will be back with more things relevant to the on-field players, of course, with the Orioles, and uh, talking a little bit more about uh, next week what uh, what they're doing on the field. Yeah. I don't know what we'll talk about. <laughs> I don't New know. New storylines will emerge. Maybe we'll see some guys called up. Maybe we'll see uh, some promotions within the minor league system. Yeah, Ryan says Colton Kowser's playing good baseball. There's one thing to talk about. He is. Adley Rushman is already off to a great start in AAA. Yeah. I mean, the dude already, I mean, three games, OPS over one. That's pretty With good. With AAA Norfolk. Uh, big, I think enough, he, big enough sample size for me. I think he's going to I think he's gonna be okay. I think he, that transition is going to go smoothly. Uh, thanks so much for, for tuning in, of course, on our live chats and, and listening after the fact. He is at Brennan Morty on Twitter. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. You can catch us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings behind the scenes. Great job, as always. And thanks to you for following along, and we will be back next week. We'll see you next time. 